Um, so this morning, uh, so welcome you, that if you're online, welcome you, welcome you, if you're just here with us. Um, this morning we're gonna be in Mark 10, we're still in this chapter, we've been here for a while, um, and I, I'm, I am thrilled with gratitude that this is the text that uh, I have for the morning because it's actually been a really influential text on in my life, and especially over the last few months. Um, and I brought up my, I have a whole wad of this just in case. Um, and last week, Dave talked about the importance of desire and longing. If you were able to hear that and the courage to name that longing, that desire, that thing that our heart most wants in Christ's presence. So whether this, the language of longing and desire is new for you or not, um, to name the longing of your heart with Jesus is extremely powerful. Uh, and to actually say what we really want is so huge to our spiritual journey. We see a question pop up last week in Jesus' response to his disciples, and we're gonna see it here again this morning. And Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? And can, I mean, can you even imagine if Jesus asked you this question? Until this was introduced to me, um, and I was encouraged to really pay attention to this question and to Jesus' thoughtful and to his thoughtful and compassionate way, I never knew that this was a question to pause at. I, didn't, I never paused at this place of scripture and been invited to imagine Jesus calling me and asking me the question, what do you want me to do for you? Actually, maybe it was a question I didn't care to spend too much time at because it's a big question. It would never cross my mind but I, I will tell you that when I did pause here, I had to sit with it for a really long time. Partially because I overthink most things, which I am typically a huge fan of most of the time. Um, I am not throwing shade on overthinking. I really am not, uh, because I love it. Um, no, but not all the time. But also because I didn't know how um, I would or should respond. Like, I didn't know if this was supposed to be a really Jesus-y or spiritual thing. To, to, it needed to be that kind of an answer. Or could it be anything? Do I have to just pick one thing or can I pick like a bunch of things? What if I say what I really want and I realize I'm more shallow than I thought? Or to me, the worst yet. <clears throat> I haven't always been a crier. The worst yet, I think, is what if I tell Jesus what I really want and it doesn't happen? Because if you say, if you say the thing or things that you're most wanting and desiring and longing for and they go unanswered or unmet... Sometimes this apprehension to give the right answer can lead us to not naming or acknowledging what our heart and life are really deeply longing for. And Dave used this metaphor last week of the spiritual muzzle where we end up not saying anything because we don't know what to say or we're afraid to say what we really 
want? And I've been brought back to this question over and over again over the last handful of years. What do you want me to do for you? And the Apostle Paul describes scripture like this in Hebrews 4. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And I have found this to be so true, as I'm sure that many of us have, sitting with different scriptures, and with this question in particular, that while I'm living my life over time, to sit with this is very powerful and very revealing. And sometimes I totally know what my heart is deeply longing for. And sometimes I can see it coming like a mile away. And sometimes I don't know. (laughs) And I don't see it coming. And sometimes it just catches me off guard out of nowhere. But it's a really powerful question. So as I was preparing, this has been my prayer for you, for all of us, that we would encounter Jesus this morning. That we experience the living and powerful word of God together as a body. And that this biblical story that is filled with the Holy Spirit would allow our heart the courage to come out of hiding and actually respond to the question of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? So I've referenced this question a few times as it relates to today's text, but um, I think it'd be a good idea if we actually read it. So let's do that together. Um, I'm actually gonna read this in a style that we called Lectio Divina. Uh, You may or may not have heard of it, but it's sort of like a slow way to read um, with a really cool Greek word attached to it. Um, But it really is to allow your imagination to sort of go and to not just read for information, but to read for transformation and to allow maybe something to spark in you that you didn't know, uh, or maybe something to give space for something to stand out that you weren't expecting. Um, And this this passage actually in particular is really beautiful with Lectio because it has so many moving parts. So if you will, it will be on the screen, but feel free to just close your eyes and imagine um, this beautiful story. So it picks up uh, chapter 10, verse 42. 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which is son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. 
And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So we can just take one second just to inventory. Is there something that stood out to you? Um, Is there a, a certain person in the story that you resonated with? The backdrop of this story is the city of Jericho, which would have been about an eight-hour walk to Jerusalem. So they were right there at the end. We have been traveling this road with Jesus. He's got his face set like flint towards Jerusalem, and they are like an eight-hour walk away. And this is Jesus' last healing miracle in the book of Mark, and they're literally a day's journey from this place that Jesus is headed. And this scripture shows up in two other gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, here, and then in Luke. But Bartimaeus is only named in Mark, which even for the gospel of Mark is super unique because rarely in connection with the incidents of healing does Mark name anyone. <clears throat> so that's interesting. We know he was a son, so he has a family, but there isn't that much else that we know about Bartimaeus. But the, the road that he is sitting alongside with travels back and forth from Jericho to Jerusalem would have been very desolate and mountainous and unsafe. And this is the road that the Good Samaritan story takes place on where the man is beaten and just left there while people pass by. <clears throat> this is that road. So it's not great, but everyone had to travel it to get from Jerusalem out to Jericho. And we know that Bartimaeus is obviously blind, but he can definitely hear. And you can guarantee that the people traveling back and forth on this road would have been talking about Jesus for years. They're telling stories as, as they pass by. And this is why Bartimaeus knows what Jesus can do is because he's been listening to all these stories come back and forth from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he hears that Jesus is coming down the road and he just lets it fly. And he bursts out because he knows who Jesus is. And clearly he believes that Jesus can heal him. He calls him Jesus, son of David, and he cries out for mercy. He's crying out for the action of mercy to alleviate his suffering. He wants to be healed. And this cry, this uh, desire for mercy and the healing of affliction would be really common to everybody who are heard because this would remind them of the Psalms. And people are clearly annoyed with how desperate and loud he was shouting, but he kept crying out. And he gets Jesus' attention and he stops and he calls him and he says, come to me. And Bartimaeus throws his cloak, which is probably not because it's cold, but likely this is his home, the way that he gathers money as people toss it on the side of the road. It starts to remind you of all these stories of discipleship where people are called to leave it all. And in the craziest way, Bartimaeus understands more clearly what it means to follow Jesus than the rich man a few verses earlier who followed the commandments for his entire life but walked away very sad because Jesus invited him to sell all of his possessions. And for some reason, Bartimaeus understands more clearly what it means to follow Jesus than his own disciples 
James and John, who we learned about last week, who when they were asked the same question by Jesus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? They respond that they wanna sit at Jesus' right and left hand in glory in a choice of position and power. And it's like Mark keeps schooling us all in the kingdom of God over and over again. I don't know if you feel that. It's just the first will be last. We're watching this kingdom just, this is not how we pictured this to go and we need to be reminded of it over and over and over again. That it's not about eternal security or prestige and power and it looks a lot more like Bartimaeus than I think any of us could ever imagine. And even though Bartimaeus believes that Jesus can heal him, it takes a lot of courage and guts to name this out loud. What he wants, what he really wants in front of Jesus. To Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? From her book, uh, Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Haley Barton says, Jesus' interactions with the people he came into contact with during his life on earth make it clear that desire and the willingness to name that desire in Christ's presence is a catalytic element of the spiritual life. It is one of the most powerful motivations for a life lived consistently with intentionality and focus. Beyond that, the willingness to open up this tender and sometimes volatile place in Christ's presence is part of the intimacy we seek. And somehow it creates the possibility for Christ to be with us in a way that meets our truest need. Like I said, I have, I have found this to be so incredibly true for our spiritual journey and not something that we often take time to sit with. Um, a story for you. Uh, earlier this month, a group of us on staff ended up being able to go to Portland for a prayer conference. And it was, it was, really, it was really wonderful, and I think we're gonna share a little bit more about it later, but um, at one of the sessions, uh, towards the end, they, um, they were inviting people up front for prayer, whoever wanted it, um, and I decided not to go up. Um, and it, I, don't, I think I've shared little bits and pieces of this, but part of my journey um, to get to, where, to be where I am today, um, I went through very uh, fascinating uh, different streams of faith. And um, one of them, and I... This is why I don't go off script. <laughs> Should I just keep going? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, uh, anyway, sometimes I, I, I feel like I have choice to not go up to the altar, and that's a new thing for me sometimes, because I, I feel like it, it, in the environment that I grew up in for a while, it was very forced, and that was where all the good stuff happened, was at the front and all of that. So now, um, I, just, I feel like I'm in such a healthy space to choose, whether I would like to go up front and believe that Jesus will be wherever he is, um, or, and wherever I am, and like all over the place. So this is part of my journey um, as I unfold, but I decided not to go up some, for some of those reasons. Um, but as, as uh, we were invited to come up, people started to come up. There were people that came around and pray, and I was like, oh, shoot, I missed it. Because I, for some reason, I had this desire rise up in with me that I really wanted somebody to pray for me. 
And I, it kind of caught me off guard, and I was like, do I go up now, and then do I, should I sneak? I, just trying to figure out how to you know, do the upfront thing and, and the desire that was just had surprised me, and then just trying to like actually live my life. Um, but it, it really surprised me, and I felt kind of silly because it was like, whatever, and I, I thought, I wish somebody would come find me and pray for me, which is so, like, good grief. Like, don't be so desperate. Um, but I, I kept reducing it away, like, I'll, I'll be fine. It's, I mean, it's fine. I chose not to go up, you know, whatever. But so this desire rises up in me, and I'm just, like, shoving it away. Like, because if it doesn't get met, that's super disappointing. So I don't wanna say it very much, so I'm like, okay, fine. Yes, I do want somebody to pray for me, but I'll be fine. I will continue to live my life day by day, one foot forward in front of the other, and it'll be fine. Um, but it, for some reason, it just is sat there, which when we talk about desire, it doesn't have to be something monumental. It could just be something that just starts rising up within you, and it's like, that's, that's what I really want, but I was nervous to say it because what if it didn't get met? I don't, I don't love that, that disappointment. Um, so again, I kept logically reducing it away and I see Rose out of the corner of my eye and I was like, oh, that'd be really great if Rose came and prayed for me. <laughs> but then again, I just like, I'm telling myself this and I'm sorry that you have this like window into my brain, but it's like, stop. Don't, like, don't do that. Like, leave it alone. You should have gone up front. You know, you get what you get. You don't throw a fit. <laughs> but then I see that, like, I look at Rose, and, I, and then she starts walking this, you know, this way, and I was like, like, no, she's not coming this way because, like, it's just, the, it's, the anticipation is building to a point where it's, this is the, if it doesn't get met, it's just sheer disappointment if I keep thinking about it. So Rose walks this way, and I'm like, I'm not looking at her. And then she makes a beeline down my row. And then she says, this is, this is why I brought my tissues. Um, she says to me, like, I feel like I should pray for you. I know. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> um, no, but and I... I obviously, gratefully accepted. Um, and she starts to speak these beautiful words of freedom. And I'm telling this story at our teaching team meeting on Tuesday. Because I didn't really share, I think I shared it with you, but I didn't share it with anybody else. And Carrie, who is in, in the teaching team meeting too, says, I felt like God was, was asking me to pray for you too. But she didn't, she didn't touch me. She was just standing behind me. And I just, I'm just losing it in the window room. Um, because I, th I think that I had forgotten. I mean, there's a number of things, but I think I had forgotten that I could ask. And it was crazy to me that our our how personal our spiritual life can be that I could be sitting in a room of 500 people and it felt like I was getting met. 
I don't know how he does that. And this fall, we're really leaning into the practice of embracing our calling and the, the primary way that we embrace our identity and calling is to receive this love of God, love of God for us as his beloved and to live this love towards others. And it's, it truly is a practice that we need to return to over and over again because for some reason, being on the receiving end of this kind of generous, unobstructed love can be very overwhelming and, and challenging at times. So we may feel undeserving of it or we may have trouble believing that Jesus in this particular instance would even be interested in inviting us close, looking at us in the face and asking us a, the question, what do you want me to do for you? And I think it would take courage and guts for any of us to name what we really want to in front of Jesus. <clears throat> because the thing that we long for most may not happen and it might go unmet. I'll tell you one more story. Because when I first got introduced to reflecting and responding to this question about 10 years ago, uh, I had this deep desire, um, I should say we had a deep desire to have more children. Um, and we have one wonderful 10-year-old. But I distinctly remember doing that, begging and pleading and naming this desire in Christ's presence over and over and over again. And it continued to go unmet. I felt like God was very silent on this issue for me. <clears throat> and I wrestled really deeply on why he put this desire in my heart. If, it, if he was never gonna fill it. <clears throat> that story, I can look back, thinking about me 10 years ago in that spot, I am so grateful. It's not as painful as it used to be. And it's amazing how that desire was met in a lot of different ways than a physical child, but in the ability to like mother so many different things. Um, so it's, it's, it is, to be on a long journey with your desire, it's, it's so fascinating um, how the desire actually does go met in ways that we could never imagine. And many of us likely have a similar story of a deep desire in our hearts for ourselves or for someone else that ended up falling flat or didn't happen. Something that we begged God for that did not change. And unfortunately, I wish I had a really great response for you, but I don't. And I'm sorry. These are some of the things that um, I've heard called the great unfixables. And they just, they just are. On this side of this life, they sort of remain unfixable. And it's not great. But I remember sitting, um, I remember specifically where I was, it was actually in a hot tub. Um, and I, so not important to the story, but um, I remember being semi, like years into this journey with infertility and um, just this like, go like this, this hope dashed, like you hope, you go up and down and I just remember, I remember starting to lose this um, 
hopeless, like I started to lose hope. Like I could feel myself at this place where it just, I started to feel like hopeless about this. And it was at that moment where I thought, more than a child, I don't wanna lose my sense of hope. And for years, I clung to that. Because I think hope is important when we name what we really want. Because we don't always get the outcome that we want. But it is about proximity with Jesus and allowing our hearts to come out of hiding and actually say what they want. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I think, I think that's why I continue to be so drawn in by Bartimaeus' response. And I'm so encouraged by his confidence in approaching Jesus and to name what he really wants in Christ's presence and to see him met with the mercy that he so desperately begged for in his time of need. And it's why I don't lose hope. And it's why I have decided to keep naming what my heart wants most, regardless of the outcome. Because whether I see it coming or not, I, have, I am not willing to miss out on the moments like I had out in Portland. Where I allow my heart to say what it really wants to Jesus. Letting go of the outcome, but met with such kind mercy and overwhelming grace. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He knew who Jesus was and he believed he could heal him. And in desperation he came close to Jesus at his invitation and he was healed from blindness and when he opened his eyes, I just love this, he saw a man on his way to Jerusalem. He gets to meet Jesus while his face is set like flint on his mission. And he moved decisively to, from sitting on the side of the road to traveling and following Jesus on the road. And the word here for healing is the same word as for salvation, for wholeness and healing. And clearly without a question, Bartimaeus has received an actual physical healing and although this is incredible and miraculous, I think it has bigger implications than just physical, and I think it provides an expansion to a sometimes damaging idea that our level or amounts of faith are attached to whether we experience the healing or not. Because what I see here is that if we put this in the context and in the time of Jesus historically, he is on his way to Jerusalem, and he is continuing to blow open the requirements for who can enter the kingdom of God. It is not position that saves, or right behavior, or power. It is faith, and faith is available to everyone, even a blind beggar on the side of the road. We see the, the fullness of the kingdom is readily and instantaneously available, and Bartimaeus is ready to actively participate and receive the kingdom. 
for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God and not a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. While the rich man thought the kingdom was a means to his own end and security, and, and James and John thought the kingdom of God was for their own, to gain their own power and position, while they're all caught up here about what the kingdom is, on the side of the road, in a desperate cry for mercy, we see the kingdom beauty with stunning clarity. And this, this story does not, um, man, it doesn't tie up nice. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite the worship team uh, to come up because they have just a beautiful song to sing over you this morning. Um, but the story is not wrap up with a nice bow. Um, and it doesn't lend itself to some kind of formula like here are the three steps that you should, like do this and you will be healed. Um, or, or this is how you should respond to Jesus when he asks you the question. But what it does do is continue to paint this picture of the kingdom. Because while the rich man thought the kingdom of God was a means to his own end, and the disciples thought the kingdom was to gain their own position and power, we see the healing and restoration, wholeness and salvation and the kind of beauty that hope that moves us all from the side of the road to on the road with Jesus. So um, I don't know if the, the question for you of that Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you, is a new question for you to pause at. Um, but this song is, is called Come Out of Hiding, and it's just, it's this song that I, I just wanna invite you to just be, however you need to be. Um, if you wanna sit, if you wanna just like make yourself comfortable and just allow for just a moment. While many of you, I'm sure, have been taking care of the needs of many other people and haven't even paused long enough to wonder whether this is a question that you even have the time to ask of yourself, or what if you found out the answer and you don't have space to even whatever? That's okay. There's no, there's no formula to come to Jesus in this way. There's no right answer that you can give when the question is asked, what do you want me to do for you? But the fact that we can pose this question, the fact that we have a savior who is kind enough to call us closer and to wonder what, it, what is it that you need and what is it that you want? So it's a really beautiful place. And um, Bartimaeus experiences a physical healing, but so many times, um, sometimes it's just like an inner healing that we need, knowing that we can be safe in Christ's presence and knowing that we could say what we really want. Um, So, here's what I'm going to do. Um, as you guys sing, I'm gonna take this stand with me. Um, but I'm gonna, to have someone to pray with uh, meant the world to me 
in Portland, and I didn't realize that sometimes. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down in the front, and Rose, if you wanna join me too, and if, if, you, if you would like prayer, um, I would love to stand in that with you. Um, but again, have the, I'm gonna give you a gift of just time and beautiful music and the presence of God to be with what is and what is in your heart. And so, um, as we say in my house, just do you. 